welcome to Partnering Leadership, a top global leadership podcast for purpose-driven leaders with a growth mindset, seeking to learn from the leadership journey of change makers and business insights from leading global thinkers. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Jordan Wilson, welcome to Partnering Leadership. I'm thrilled to have you in this conversation with me. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this. Excited to talk. Jordan, I'm excited. I've been learning so much from you and your Everyday AI podcast and your newsletter. So can't wait to get some of your thoughts and insights on where AI is headed, most specifically how executives can apply AI in their workflows. But before we get to that, we'd love to know whereabouts you grew up and how your upbringing impacted who you've become, Jordan. Yeah, fantastic question. So I grew up in a small little town called Freeport, Illinois. So it's about two hours west of where I now reside in Chicago. And my background, I'd say, was very interesting. So I started working as a full-time journalist while I was still in high school. So at age 17, I was literally working 37 and a half hours a week, whatever it was back then, writing for uh, my daily newspaper in the town where I grew up. And that kind of led me to, at the time, pursue a career in journalism. So I really was a multimedia journalist for about seven or eight years, most recently at the Chicago Sun-Times. I did fairly well. I accomplished what I set out to accomplish. I won ACP Story of the Year. I was a Pulitzer Fellow. So at that point, I was like frustrated with how newspapers were a little slow to adapt to technology. I've always been a tech geek my whole life. So I launched into a new career, which started out in nonprofit marketing, which eventually led into leadership at this nonprofit. But the organization eventually just became an activation agency for Nike and Jordan brand. So I spent about 10 years <laughs> and the majority of my job was really just working on these very large, highly visible community engagements with Nike and Jordan brand. And after that, doing that for about 10 years, that kind of led me to start my own agency. And from there created kind of our AI media company called Everyday AI. So that's fascinating that you've had such an award-winning and successful career as a journalist and then in nonprofit as well, ending up with AI. So would love to get your thoughts and perspectives. Number one, why have you gone into it? And what do you see as the implications of AI on organizations in general? Yeah. It's a fantastic question. I actually have to rewind five years or more to answer that question. My main company is called Accelerant Agency. So we're a digital strategy company based here in Chicago. So even when I was writing my business plan in 2017, I wrote down that I was really only going to be investing on the traditional digital strategy and marketing side for maybe five years, because I felt at the time that something was going to significantly change in the marketing and advertising world. I wasn't sure, but I literally wrote that in my business plan in probably about 2020, which is when we started on the agency side using a lot of different tools that had AI in them. Specifically, I think it was late 2020 or early 2021, we started using the GPT technology. Everyone knows ChatGPT, which came out in November 2022, but most people don't realize that about two years before that, their technology at that time was GPT-3 was available in a lot of other platforms. As soon as our team started using that pretty routinely for ourselves and clients, I said, hey, when I wrote my business plan, 
years ago, and I saw that there was going to be some sort of seismic shift happening in the world, I knew at that point that was it. So over the course of the last like year and a half, we've been dialing things back on the agency side as we've started to invest on the AI media company side with the podcast, the newsletter, and getting into doing some strategic consulting for companies as well. I think that's really smart. And I truly believe that this is transformative technology. Now, one of the things I enjoy about your podcast and the way you approach it is that you have a very practical perspective on AI application for executives. So I want to get some of your thoughts around generative AI. First of all, what is generative AI and how can executives think about using it in their workflows? Yeah, it's important to first even know the definition, right? Because artificial intelligence is not new. It's been used in many different sectors and industries in the U.S. for decades, even going back to the 60s and 70s. So artificial intelligence is not new. Generative AI, or at least the definition of what constitutes <laughs> generative AI, is a little newer. So the simplest way to describe what generative AI is the ability to input a prompt that generates something else on the back end. So I mentioned ChatGPT, that primarily is a text input, text output. It can obviously do other things with inputs and outputs, but that's what it's primarily known as. And then you have other platforms or programs such as Midjourney, as an example, that's a generative AI system where you input uh, text and on the output, there is photos, right? And then you also have a lot of newer generative AI systems that are multimodal. And that's the future of generative AI and large language models as well. As an example, Google's newest updates to BARD allow you to input multiple things, photos, text, even your speech, and it can output in those formats as well. So that's what generative AI is in its simplest form is when artificial intelligence takes simple prompt inputs in various formats and then create something that wasn't there before based on machine learning, deep learning, all of those things. So with that in mind, with kind of a, a definition, so to speak, of, of what generative AI is, how can executives use it? I could talk for many hours on that, but I would say this, like the best piece of advice that I can give to an executive is don't listen to me. Don't listen to you. Don't listen to anyone because you have people saying, oh, do this, do that. Don't. Like the only thing that you need to do is understand where your team is spending the most manual time because it's so easy to just try to emulate what someone else is doing. You get this shiny feature syndrome and you're trying to chase around all these new tools and techniques. Don't do that. That's the worst thing you can do because as soon as you do that, as soon as you go down the tool route, there's going to be a newer, shinier tool and you're going to get distracted. My best piece of advice, in this case, an executive, maybe 10 people on their team, is to start to systematically break down the type of work that they do in categories. So are you spending most of your time on meetings? Are you spending your time reading and researching? Are you spending your time creating? It's really first measuring and categorizing where your team is spending the most manual time because that's where you can start to then find the correct solution that can provide a quantifiable return within that generative AI system. What an outstanding perspective, Jordan, because the people that I've seen that have been frustrated with their use of generative AI, in most instances, it has been cases where people have looked at it, as you said, as a tool, and it can just become an addition to what it is they're doing, rather than focusing on the business issues they're having, business processes, and then incorporating generative AI to facilitate that process. So 
in looking at the business, what are the places where generative AI can have the easiest wins or gets the most potential traction when an executive is looking at the workflow for themselves or their team? What are the first places you typically tell people to start looking for use of generative AI? So there is no one size fits all in generative AI implementation, but I'd say for the most part, if you're a knowledge worker, so that's those of us that sit in front of a desk, quote unquote, nine to five or nine to nine, if you have a, a work problem, one of the easiest wins, in my opinion, is in learning. I think generative AI is going to change how we learn, because I'd say regardless of what industry that you are in, you are constantly needing to learn new things. Because how we do business is changing. It's changing because of technology. It's changing because of even how we work. We work in hybrid and remote scenarios now where pre-pandemic, we really didn't do that. So it's really looking at those specific areas of work. I'd say some of the lowest hanging fruit is learning new things. As an example, you can go inside of ChatGPT and enable different plugins. And maybe you always spend, let's just say, three to five hours a week learning a new subject. Maybe you're in sales and you need to sell something and it's an industry of the person that you're selling to is changing all the time. So maybe you're always reading white papers, demographic reports, emails from a company that helps advise you on your target demographic. Being able to cut through the fluff with something like ChatGPT with plugins and to be able to insert a link or a URL or a PDF in there and being able to do some basic training within a chat inside ChatGPT to trade it. Hey, here's what I care about. Here's who I am. Here's what my company does. In this chat, here's the role that you're playing. You should be helping me pull out A, B, and C out of these long documents. That's one of the fastest ways that I think you can get a positive return on your investment for generative AI is just being able to read through long documents, long web pages. It's something I even personally do myself because it is so impactful. And again, it's one of the fastest ways that you can get your time back. Its applications in learning can be really beneficial. And I love the way you put it. There's a level of individual agency in interacting with ChatGPT in developing your own learning and learning approach. Now, I wonder on the flip side of the learning issue, what have you seen as best practices or what do you recommend for executives to think about in learning about use of generative AI, whether for themselves or for their teams? So besides just subscribing to ChatGPT Plus and playing around with it, are there practices that they should think about in enabling themselves and their teams to more effectively use generative AI, including using it for learning in their team? That's part of a never-ending conversation on generative AI best practices, right? And even as we speak today, it's, it's changed so much in the last two weeks, because as an example, now what you see something very timely is the New York Times is suing OpenAI and Microsoft, saying that OpenAI's large language model, GPT-4 and GPT-3.5, was trained on data or information that is copywritten by the New York Times. So even when you are talking about what are the best practices to think about, how can my team use ChatGPT or how can my team use Microsoft Bing Copilot, you always have to keep that in mind is, is where is the data coming from, even your own internal data. Because it's also important to know that even though nothing that you share with a large language model is technically public, however, it is no longer private because anything that you enter into ChatGPT is technically used to train 
its models. That's another important thing to keep in mind and something that I think businesses are continuing to wrestle with because I think there's this urgency while we have to start using generative AI, we have to start using large language models because all of our competitors are, because you see them share these things or come out with these new products or features or services that are clearly leveraging generative AI. So you feel this rush, you have to do it as well, but you really first have to have governance in order at your company. You have to say, hey, these types of documents here, these are internal. So you should never be uploading sensitive or proprietary documents into any generative AI system. When you talk about practices and how to use generative AI, even with learning, it's okay. If you want to even take your company's maybe internal training documents, maybe they're very long, maybe it's PDFs, maybe it's private video training that you have within an, uh, an intranet, something like that. You even have to look at that and say, okay, what pieces of this are confidential? What parts are sensitive? What parts are proprietary? Because there might be things that you shouldn't be uploading into a large language model. So governance first and foremost has to be on every business executive's mind here in 2024. In having that governance in mind, I would say there has to be a balance on it. I remember, Jordan, when iPhones came out and our company initially didn't allow us to use iPhones, that wasn't approved. We were, as executives, using it anyway. And the company policy changed when the CEO himself fell in love with iPhone and got our IT system to adjust accordingly. Right now, I know there are companies that have policies of no generative AI use, including government agencies, but the employees are using it anyway. So that's where the question is, how do you balance having governance, but governance that people are willing to stick to rather than binary governance that says, don't use any of it until at some date in the future, we decide what to do with it. Yeah, it's such a great question. I actually created a term that I'm using now all the time called second computer AI, because that's what's happening. Like you mentioned it, some companies, because they don't maybe fully understand it, or they just don't have a way to get proper governance in place. They're just banning it, which is probably the worst thing you can do because then what's happening, like we just talked about, people are using their own second computer, as I call it, or maybe they're putting it on their phone and then they're copying and pasting it from their phone into an email draft or something like that. So if you are a decision maker right now, your company and your thought is to ban generative AI, you need to rethink that because your employees, regardless of what you think, if they haven't already been using it for months, they're going to be using it anyways. It is much safer, even in the long run to implement a generative AI policy now and adapt it later. So to get to, okay, how can you create a governance policy that sticks? I'd say, don't do it top down. Don't do it top down. Talk to those people in your organization that are already using generative AI. Talk to the people that maybe are doing the quote unquote second computer AI and saying, okay, number one, why are you using it? Number two, how are you using it? What benefits are you getting out of using it? Because if business leaders don't already have a generative AI plan, you are going to run into, I'd say, a lot of issues with growing or sustaining your business. Again, that's a very broad statement, I understand. But regardless, I don't think there's many industries where generative AI is not going to make a profound impact. So with governance, it's not top down. You have to involve the people that are actually either already using the generative AI systems or will be using it, get feedback from them and, and get buy-in from them as well. You should be creating a fair, equitable 
governance system around generative AI, and it is much more likely to stick and not be a one-way street if you get buy-in from people using it every day. What a great perspective. It's getting input and engagement from the people who are using it to create some of those boundaries, governance, guardrails, rather than top-down, which is an approach that I've seen some organizations try to take and people find ways to circumvent those. So a big challenge that I'm sure you are also seeing, Jordan, in incorporating generative AI in organizations and bringing it in is it's a change management challenge. And I find that some of the people who are using it the most are the ones that are most terrified about its potential impact on their jobs. So what are some of your thoughts with respect to the change management that it takes for effective use of generative AI in the team? Yeah, I'm usually one who has a cup a little half empty versus half full. I wouldn't say I have a pessimistic uh, viewpoint. I would say it's a realistic viewpoint. I think, unfortunately, on the internet or social media, there are certain kind of sayings that pick up popularity and business leaders adjust their decision-making based on common trains of thought. The common train of thought that's been out there for the last year or so is AI won't take your job. Someone using AI will, which is patently terrible. That is so false and so misleading that I wish I could just hit delete and just delete that from the entire internet. Here's why. Is it true? Yes. Someone using AI will take your job if you're the one not using AI, but it is not a one-to-one. It is not a one-to-one replacement because depending on the type of work that you're doing with a generative AI system, it is anywhere from a two-to-one to a 20-to-one replacement. That is such a um, misleading and if I'm being honest, such a disheartening sentiment that people are building up around AI and they say, oh, okay, hey, as long as my employees know generative AI, our department's going to be good or our company's going to be good. That's not really how it works. And even if you are worried about your own job security and you're looking at change management, it's really not enough to just, oh, okay, uh, I, I have ChatGPT or I've used Google's search generative experience or whatever. So I'm familiar with AI, I think it really takes reimagining how certain departments or certain companies do work or what does work even mean anymore. Because part of the conversation around governance and ethical, haven't even touched on the ethical part of it uh, as well, but before you implement generative AI at a large scale, you have to have the conversation of what happens if it works, right? What happens if it works? So many studies, McKinsey had a popular one that said, I believe up to 60% of tasks that most of us do can be supplemented with generative AI or generative AI systems will be able to do that. Okay, what happens if 50 to 60% of all of your employees' work can be managed properly by generative AI systems once you get it? What do you do then? What new area of business can you focus on? If you're serving humans in the end with a product or service, how can you take some of that gained time or some of that time you went back and provide more personable and a more human interaction for your end client, for your end users? Yeah, there's a whole lot, but in general, it's going to be disruptive whether people want to admit it or not. I know no one wants to talk about it. It's the giant elephant that is now bigger than the room, but it is going to be extremely disruptive when it comes to job displacement, the economic impact as well. I think it's going to be much more impactful than most people want to talk about. That's why it's important for us as leaders of organizations and executives to constantly learn and grow. I couldn't agree with you more, Jordan, in 
my understanding and going in depth on AI, I also absolutely dislike that meme of you won't lose your job to AI, you will lose it to someone using AI. People who say things like that don't understand that Microsoft now has 80 plus percent of the coding that is done by AI. So yes, there are coders that are using the AI, but a heck of a lot fewer coders that are able to code a lot more. So it is not a one-to-one. It's not to say we need to only be afraid. At the same time, we can't also be oblivious to the impact that it has, which is why we need to keep reinventing ourselves and learning at a faster pace. So executives, how can they stay at the cutting edge? The treadmill is going faster and faster. It's so important because like you mentioned, if it's not clearly defined, it does just feel like running on a treadmill that is increasingly going faster and faster. And that's what it'll be if you don't have goals and objectives clearly defined. A recommendation that I would make is to have short bursts. So when you're talking about, especially if it's for the first time, if you're implementing generative AI into your business, don't think of like your traditional uh, route when you're adapting to new technologies. You go through RFPs and you go through, oh, we're going to have a a one-year trial of, of this and that. And you can't do that. That's not how generative AI implementation works. You need to be able to work in short sprints. You need to say, hey, We're not going to go through and test 10 different systems over the course of six months and then choose one over a three-month period and then sign an 18-month engagement. You can't do that. You have to find first easy wins. Find the low-hanging fruit on how you can win your time back. Then go through a very quick process. And one of the two or three reputable, and the key word there is reputable, generative AI services that can help us win time back in those areas. And you set a goal, something like 30 days, and you say, we're only working on this one generative AI engagement or this one implementation. Here's the intended output over the course of 30 days. Here's how we're going to train our team on it. Here's how we're going to measure. You have to be able to get quick wins because here's the thing. Something like ChatGPT might not be for everyone. Something like a text to video. Maybe you want to revamp your marketing or your advertising. You're like, oh, we've never done video. Look at all these great tools like Runway and Pika that now we can create video. Okay. Doesn't mean you should. So what you need to do, I always say, don't try to add new lines of business in your first generative AI implementation. Win your time back on where you're spending the most manual time. Have a very short period, a way to measure it and go 30 days, go all in, go 30 days, measure it. It obviously needs to be something quantifiable, whether that's growing revenue or reducing operating costs, probably through the measuring factor of employees' time. But you need to set very clear defined goals and it needs to be a short span. I love that perspective. It's much more of an agile perspective of experimentation rather than going fully in with a longer project cycle, which a lot of larger organizations, especially some of the more conservative organizations have been looking at that gets them in trouble. Now, Jordan, you have been in creative business yourself. You do have the podcast, the newsletter. Would love to know, how is a content creator like you incorporating generative AI and how do you see generative AI used most effectively in that space? 
Yeah, generative AI in the creative space, it's been around for a very long time. It's almost like old news. Like I said, I think our team, it was either late 2020 or early 2021 that we started using the GPT technology. Other offerings or other kind of generative AI technologies have been around for a long time, especially around content creation. I would say if you look at all the different departments within uh, a large organization, I'd say your marketing, advertising, or communications uh, departments are probably the ones if you had no rules, they've already been using generative AI tools for multiple years now. I'll say even some of our examples, like I use ChatGPT almost every day to learn about AI. It's something people always ask me as they're like, oh, Jordan, it seems like you keep up with generative AI. How do you do all this? I use AI to keep up with AI. Like I teach different chats within ChatGPT, what I care about, what I don't care about. And I have different chats. That's an example that I built that can take a 50 page PDF, maybe a very technical study that it might take me two to three hours. And I might, you know, spend that two or three hours and read it and maybe only comprehend 50% of it. But by training a chat within ChatGPT as an example, I can go through that in two to three minutes and it'll create a little podcast summary for me. It'll highlight the main points and it'll tell it to me in a way that I taught it. Like, hey, I learned like this. This is how I learned. This is what I care about. This is what I don't care about. And here's the format or the medium that helps me learn best. So that's even a way I'm using generative AI like that all the time. Like we have a daily live stream and podcast. So we have different generative AI tools that as content creators help us very quickly take a 20, 30, 40 minute conversation and to be able to create multiple pieces of content around that in different formats. So yeah, for content creation, that fruit's already on the ground. That's not even low hanging fruit. That's fruit that already fell off the tree a while ago, but it's so easy. And there's so many tools, I think, especially in 2022, 2023, so many of the generative AI tools were aimed, obviously, at content creators, given that the first kind of quote unquote mainstream generative AI or large language model was ChatGPT, which was mainly focused on at the time creating content, especially written content. One of the things I find, Jordan, is that when you use generative AI for understanding and learning, as you mentioned, and for content creation, you start seeing the potential applications of it in other parts of the organization as well. Now, Jordan, you have a lot of great content that you're producing on a daily basis. How can the audience follow your work? Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate that. The easiest way is just to go to youreverydayai.com. Like you already mentioned, we put out a free daily newsletter. We have the podcast. I'll, I'll throw out the live stream. I think the live stream is great because a lot of times we bring on guests. We've had people from big companies like IBM and NVIDIA and Microsoft, but then also small business owners and entrepreneurs. And to be able to, as a consumer, to be able to listen live and ask questions, because that's our format is we'll take people's questions live. So it's like, where else could talk to a senior director at Microsoft about how to best implement 365 Copilot into your business? I actually think the live stream is super underrated and a great way for people to actually learn and leverage AI because learning is fine, but it's all about, okay, now that I've learned some things, it's okay. The treadmill is going fast and I keep learning more and more and there's new things every day. So it's all about how you make it practical and actionable as well. That's really what we also focus on in the newsletter is breaking down the conversation and saying, hey, here's how to go apply this to grow your business or to grow your career today. That's actually what I really appreciate about your content, Jordan, because it's not AI for AI's sake. And there is a lot of content out there 
introducing lots of different tools. There are hundreds of new tools that come out every day that can be shiny objects that people can run after. What you do through your questioning and through your content is help people understand the business value and application and where it's relevant for them, which is why I really appreciate your content. Really appreciate this conversation and all the great work you're doing, Jordan. And thank you so much for sharing some of your thoughts with the Partnering Leadership community. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. You have been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review of the podcast on your favorite podcasting app and forward the conversation to a friend or colleague so you can help more people discover their purpose, grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com. Dot com.